Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Tony will have a conversation today with one of the world's great influencers as they showcase the newest, hottest, and best trends from all walks of life. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome back to my show and thanks for joining in with us. Now, today we're going to talk about something I usually don't tackle directly. I'm not usually head on with this. You know, many of my shows, they're inspirational, motivational. You love them, as you tell me. Well, today we're going to take that up a few notches. And actually, the sky's the limit on today's episode as we tackle the stuff that dreams are made of. And we go head to toe with inspiration. Now, we're not really going to give you a pep talk or anything like that, I don't think. But with today's show, anything goes as we talk about discovering your true self, breaking free from fear, and unleashing your full potential. I know those are big statements to give any commitment to. And actually, why not? The world needs this more than ever, don't you think? You know, I see too much frustration and drama issues just about everywhere I turn. So I tell you what, let's tackle this head on. Today, we're going to talk about inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Curran. And later on in this episode, we have an insider's brief about artificial intelligence to help scale sustainably from IBM. Stay tuned for that later in this episode. And please listen for news from our sponsor, Articulate 360. They're a well-known software company that specializes in e-learning tools. This is what you need to create online courses and cater to your community. I'm impressed. And they have a really cool offer for you. So please listen for more information from Articulate 360 just ahead. And lastly, I'm going to give you a brief chat on mastering LinkedIn to grow your prospects and increase your sales. Stay tuned for that in the second break. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We all want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high sustainable level. And we're going to help turn you into an elite entrepreneur. Meet Michelle Mace Curran. She's one of only a handful of women to make it to the elite level of the Air Force Thunderbirds. She blazed her own trail in the skies and she found her purpose in inspiring and empowering others. Get ready to fly. Hi, Mace. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm very excited about this for a multitude of reasons. I want to learn about inspiring our team as well as ourselves. So let's take it here. How did it all start for you, Michelle? What's your backstory? I'll try to not talk for too long on this one. So I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, not an aviation or a military family, but uh, fast forward to needing to pay for college and Air Force ROTC eventually rose to the top. My dad really encouraged me on that one. Um, my initial reaction was a little bit of resistance to the military. Um, I think a lot of people expect the answer to why would you join the Air Force to be, you know, I wanted to serve my country. I saw it as a bigger calling and I eventually got there. But as a 17 year old, my vision was fairly narrow and I wanted to be a normal college student that lived in the dorms, got to go to parties. And I didn't see that that aligned with the military, but turns out you can do both. Uh, and so I went to college, full ride Air Force ROTC scholarship. But here's the kicker. I went as a criminal justice major with the goal to do four years in the military, get out and apply to the FBI. And I had not decided at that point that I wanted to be a pilot, but I had a pivotal moment about halfway through college where I saw 
two fighter jets up close, taking off in full afterburner. And that was my first time experiencing anything like that. And I got goosebumps. The jet noise was, you know, deafening, vibrates your whole body. And I was just in awe and knew from that moment on that I was going to pursue that as my new goal. And I went after it, competed for a pilot slot, got one, and then went on to 13 years of active duty in the Air Force, flying the F-16. And the last three years, I was a solo pilot and eventually the lead solo for the Thunderbirds. And now for about a year, I've been out of the military, out of active duty at least, and I'm a keynote speaker, author, and really leaning into the inspirational part of that mission. That is such an amazing story. And I'm going to talk about your Air Force days in just a moment. Today, you help entrepreneurs, you help business leaders, you help them face their fears and overcome self-doubt and, and move up in their business and their life. And I'm curious, how did that vision evolve? Here you are, you're flying jets, and but uh, now you're into helping people with business. So how did that segue occur? I think there's kind of two parts to it. While I was flying for the Thunderbirds, I kind of quickly discovered that I was in a really unique spot where I had the honor of having these interactions where people were looking to me for inspiration. And so day after day, I was having these moments, especially with kids, but also with adults, where I could see them watching the Thunderbirds fly, seeing me get out of the aircraft, come up to the autograph line, talk to them for a few minutes. It was really empowering them and inspiring them. And for some of them, that one little conversation can be life-changing, right? It can send them down a path towards a goal that they didn't think they could do before. And I quickly got, I don't want to say addicted, but I just loved that part of the job. It's such a dopamine hit to be able to help other people. And I was getting that feeling all of the time. And so as my time on the Thunderbirds started to come to an end, I knew I wanted to keep doing that. And the flying kind of became secondary to that. And I've been flying for 13 years, pulling nine Gs on a regular basis. It's hard on your body. I was kind of ready to reevaluate and reprioritize. And so I wanted to find a way to continue to do that outside of the military. And the whole thing with overcoming fear and self-doubt and imposter syndrome, that really became my core message. Because when I thought back to what I needed five years ago, 10 years ago, even back when I was in high school or early college, I was a very shy, introverted kid. I had a lot of self-doubt as a young adult. I had a lot of self-doubt as a young fighter pilot. I really didn't feel like I fit into kind of the stereotypes of the fighter pilot community, confident type A, you know, all the assumptions that people have after they see Top Gun. And so there was a lot of this where I just didn't feel like I belonged there. And that kind of held me back for quite a while. And I eventually was over to was able to overcome it by doing some very intentional things. And I realized that that wasn't just specific to me being a woman in a male-dominated career field. I think that does amplify it a bit, but that's a human condition, struggling with self-doubt, struggling with imposter syndrome. And so I kind of just leaned into the things that really resonated with me because they felt authentic and vulnerable. And I knew that they would be unexpected coming from someone with my background. And the response has really been incredible. It's, you know, when I speak to uh, an audience where it's women in a male dominated career field, maybe law enforcement or something like that, I really expect my message to resonate. And I kind of knew that. But what's been more surprising for me is when I go speak at a tech company or a Fortune 500 company and people that are in leadership roles, men and women, are coming up afterwards and being like, 
I have felt that way my entire career. And these are the people that the the ones below them are looking at and admiring and thinking they have it all together and always know what to do. And they're the ones that are like, I need to hear that so much. And so it really opened my eyes over the last year so that this is something that almost everyone struggles with. And so it's just been such an honor to be able to connect with audiences and see the expressions on their face and see that it's reaching them. And then have people start to follow up with me now where they've gone to my speech it's kind of triggered this idea for them. And then they've went and followed through with it. And I get to hear their kind of success story afterwards. And that is just so cool. It's, it's cooler than flying F-16 upside down. I know that's hard to believe, but it's been amazing. That is something because flying that F-16 upside down, that's quite an adrenaline rush. I mean, we all get that, you know, though not necessarily all of us can experience that. And you mentioned that when you went from that world, for over a decade into speaking and helping business people and entrepreneurs and so forth, you said it gave you an, an adrenaline rush. I'm thinking, what is the deeper purpose? What's the reason? Like, why are you doing that in this new career, so to speak? I think because if I was to look back at a, the really low point in my career, which was my first operational squadron in Misawa, Japan, I was there for three years. I went through a lot of personal stuff there. I went through a divorce while I was living in Japan, you know, overseas, not near family and friends. I was just struggling in this new career field that's very difficult and being kind of a high achiever and just working really hard, but being good at things fairly quickly, it kind of rocked my world and my identity to all of a sudden struggle with things. And so that really held me back, set me back. I put up these these walls of, you know, trying to prove myself acting like I had the answers, being afraid to admit when I needed help, not seeking out mentors because that comes with some vulnerability. And I realized that so many people need that empowerment. And so that was the thing that really solidified in my mind that I should jump into this full force. And more than the round of applause at the end of a good speech, because that's an adrenaline rush and it's fun being up there, but it's those people that I get to talk to afterwards that tell me that I, that they felt that I was speaking directly to them. Like that is the purpose and that is the most rewarding. And if I can just send a few people from each, each presentation I get to give on a new path and a trajectory that opens doors that we don't even know yet are going to be opportunities for them, then it's all worth it. That, that rush I know well, not the one from flying, but the other one. Totally. (laughs) We're talking about inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Curran, and you can find her at macecurran.com. Now, spell that M A C E C U R R A N.com. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you on your journey to success. Just ahead, the chat continues inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Curran. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. As I just mentioned in the beginning intro, I have something that I found quite impressive. So let's start here. I know you all want to hit your revenue targets. You want to get your launch done, get your book out, get your class out, whatever it is that you're doing, right? And Making sure that your team knows what to do and how to do it, well, that's a huge part of it. You all know this. I'm singing to the choir. And I'm sure that you do all different kinds of training 
And I'm willing to bet you probably use PowerPoint, Zoom, and things like that. And I'm also willing to bet that when you get someone who's just droning on about these topics using those tools, you probably zone out a little bit and your teams do too. And I totally get it. Listen up. This is why I really love this tool called Articulate 360. They make it so easy to whip something together that's interactive, that's beautiful, and it's e-learning that really engages people, your team, and gets that information across. Now, you can create short-form micro-learning, you can create super interactive courses, and really whatever you need. Then with a couple of clicks, you can send it out and check in on the progress. You could have everyone in your team, subs and affiliates or whoever you work with that, that needs this information. A couple clicks, you can check on the progress, who's done what, who's learned what, who's been through the class or the e-learning or whatever that you put together for your company. This is so good. Now, your team can also check back in on the training anytime that they want in this very easy-to-use portal. And so what does this mean for you? Well, literally everyone in your company or that's involved in your products of, of whatever kind, they can use this to really focus and get the product and the coordination in a lot better. And all 100 of the Fortune 100 companies use this. Yeah, it's that powerful, that easy, that important. I want you to check it out today and actually start a free trial. Go to articulate.com slash 360. That's A-R-T-I-C-U-L-A-T-E dot com slash 360. Start that free trial and you'll be as impressed as I am. Articulate.com slash 360. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, you're back on The Tony D'Erso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your journey to success. Today's show is Inspiring Your Team with Michelle Mace Curran. And just a quick thank you that I sincerely appreciate you listening to my weekly shows with today's elite entrepreneurs. And if you like this show, would you please head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a cool review? Look up The Tony D'Urso Show and drop a kind one. I thank you so much for listening. And now, back to the chat with Michelle Mace. Michelle, let's get into your vision path here a little bit more. We are entrepreneurs and business owners, as I've mentioned. Help us learn as you can. And the one thing I want to go back is you were at this pivotal point. You wanted to be an FBI agent, and not that it's not that I'm saying anything bad or derogatory about it, but you know, it's a great career. But you decided to be this fighter pilot, and I believe when you saw a couple of jets take off, was that it? Was it just because you got goosebumps, and or what made you just change? Because usually, when people are on a given path of a career, they like to stick with it. But you, you, you change, and I'm just curious to find out more about that. So I think it was more than just the physical excitement, but I saw the challenge. I was, I'm competitive. I saw it fulfilling that. Um, I, I was, when I was growing up, I was super adventurous, loved roller coasters, liked skydiving, all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, this is about as close as I can get in a career in the military to, you know, adventure, fast paced, like physically thrilling as far as the forces that you're body is under in the cockpit, but also very challenging, mentally challenging. So it just, that kind of was the, 
the catalyst, but the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it. I was like, if I don't at least try for this, and I didn't want to be just a pilot, but I want to be specifically a fighter pilot. And that's fairly competitive. To give you some perspective, my, my pilot training class was 25 people, and we had two fighter aircraft that ended up being available. And I was able to get one of the two. So I went into this, this goal full on, knowing that the odds were not in my favor. Um, and I think it's because... I decided that if I went and continued, graduated as a criminal justice major, did four years, then went into the FBI, that I would always look back and wonder. I would be that person that comes up to me now and was like, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot, almost did it, but, and then they tell me some reason that they didn't. And not that I mind when people do that, but I see it on their faces all the time that they're like, that's like one of those things I always wished I could go do. And it's just not in the cards for me. And I didn't want to regret not trying. So it was enough of a catalyst and I paid attention to it and I went for it. And here we are. Michelle, as I understand it, going back early in your life, you were very shy. You say that you were an awkward kid. And you say that labeling yourself as shy as introverted really stifles the growth. What can we learn from you on this? Yeah, so I definitely was shy and awkward as a kid, no doubt about it. I hated being in the spotlight. I hated social interactions. I had my very small group of friends. Yeah, I would not put myself out there in social situations at all. And even going into the Air Force, ROTC, and then early on in my career, that was something I really had to work on was being assertive, being okay leading people, you know, leading a formation and getting them to march or any of that kind of stuff was uncomfortable for me. And so I... I struggled with that. It felt uncomfortable for so long. But later in my career, and really as I got into the Thunderbirds, there was a moment where my first season, I was struggling a little bit because I am still introverted. I still need my time by myself to recharge my battery. And I was struggling with managing my energy level and I was being so public facing while we were on the road doing shows. And especially being the only female pilot for the whole three years I was there, I would get sought out by people constantly. Even in the bathroom, people would stop me and ask for a photo or something. And so it it was exhausting. It was rewarding, but it was exhausting. And there was one point where I was like, I was just doubting if I was the best person to be in that role because of that. It wasn't about the flying. I was doing fine there. It was about my ability to be outgoing and interact with the public in the best way possible. And my boss, who being Thunderbird one, you're also always getting sought out. You're the one that's meeting the mayor and up on the stage giving the speech and doing all these high profile things all the time. He said something to me. He's like, Mace, I am an introvert. This stuff is not natural for me either. And it was kind of eye opening to me because I never categorized him in, in that, you know, under that label. And so I started to think about it and I was like, where I am now, the things I'm doing now is so far along or so far from what I was scared of as a kid, obviously we grow, we progress, we get better at things. Like, why am I stuck calling me, calling myself these things? Why am I always using that as a crutch, as an excuse? Like, oh, I'm introverted. Oh, I'm shy. Why can't I just be, I could be tired today and not super excited to be at an event. But when I put a blanket statement on my entire person, then I use that filter to make decisions. And so when I'm like, some opportunity comes up that does involve getting in front of people. I'm like, Oh, in my head subconsciously, 
a shy person wouldn't do that. And so then I will, you know, kind of resist. I'm like, oh, someone else is probably a better fit. And I was missing out on opportunities because I was using this filter that I didn't need to use. And as I'm thinking about this, the one thing I want to make sure I, I ask before we get off is your call sign. Your call sign is Mace. So I got to ask, how did you get that call sign? And is there something that we can learn from that? Yeah. So that is one of the most common questions I get. And in true fighter pilot tradition, we have kind of this rule that is probably gone back forever, that we only share our call sign story, all the nitty gritty details in person. And the the second part of that rule is that you have to buy me a beverage, but I'm pretty sure that was just for people to get free beer. Um, so I'll give you like the broad brush okay. story. The no beer, no beer involved question. Right. Totally. <laughs> so MACE is an acronym, so I won't tell you what it stands for exactly, but fighter pilot call signs in general are based on something dumb that you did, a mistake that you made, something that your peers would likely make fun of you for, but also that they've totally been there and done something similar. And it's almost a rite of passage to get it. You get it at your first operational squadron once you're done with mission qualification training, which means you are now certified where you could go into combat the next day as a fighter pilot. And so it's a it's a big deal. You've worked for years to get to that point. And then all your peers in the squadron, they get together, they brainstorm all of the dumb things that you've done over the last three or four months while you've gone through those flights, which I think they just wait until you're done with. Um, MQT mission qualification because that gives them plenty of material to use because you've made plenty of mistakes in that time. And then they start listing them up. They're like, Oh, she did this and she did this. And, and they're funny. It's entertaining for them, but it also kind of builds camaraderie. And I think with some perspective now, I realize that it's such a ceremony and it's such a rite of passage, not because we like to make fun of each other, even though we do that to some extent, not to like shame and ridicule and embarrass the person, but kind of to celebrate how hard it is to get to that point and how much work has to go in and how many missteps everyone makes. Because when you're operating at the level you have to operate at in a fighter aircraft, you're not going to be perfect. It, you never have a perfect flight. You're always striving to get better, but perfection is just unattainable. You're always going to be off altitude by a few feet or a few knots fast or a second late or something. It's just too complex to be perfect. And so I think there's a lot to learn there because it's taking this mentality where a mistake doesn't stop us in our tracks. It's rather an opportunity to learn and not just for the person that made the mistake, but on a high performing team, you create an environment where everyone fesses up when they do have a misstep because they understand that that brings all this value to the team when everyone can learn from each other. And so you kind of create this psychological safety and just this culture where mistakes are admitted to, they're looked at, they're examined with the purpose of making the team better next time. And so I think the call sign kind of represents that. So for mine, I went supersonic when I shouldn't have. It was execution error tactically. Also, it was really hard on my body. I pulled a lot of Gs. Um, yeah, so my call sign comes from that. So that's that's the most you'll get. If you ever see me speak in person or if you run into me in the airport, which seems to happen a lot, you can ask me, I'll tell you. Sounds good. That's a deal. But no beer. <laughs> no beer. I, I like coffee, though. There you go. It's a deal. Um, you're a trailblazer. You're defined as a trailblazer. Is that because you're you at at times were in the lead or is it just the Thunderbirds? 
uh, and what they do. Can you kind of just uh, for us that that don't know this nomenclature, explain what is a trailblazer and what does that mean in this world? I think so. I don't label myself as a trailblazer, but I'm called that all the time. And I really look at the women that paved the way in the fighter community before me as the true trailblazers. But I also realize that institutional change takes a lot of time and combat cockpits were open to women in the early nineties. And here I am, you know, 30 years later and I was still dealing with a lot of bias and prejudice. It wasn't blatant like the stuff they dealt with, but it was still stuff that was frustrating um, over time and stuff that could wear on you over time. And so I think that each one of us, so to put it in perspective, only about two to 3% of fighter pilots in the air force are women. So I think that's where the trailblazing comes in. Um, and then you look at the Thunderbirds, the team's been around for 70 years, had hundreds of pilots, and I was the fourth woman to ever fly in the demo. So there's a, a handful of us. Um, and so that brings some unique challenges because you're, you're in this public spotlight and you are under such a microscope and it can feel like you, you have the honor of representing women, but you also have the burden and the responsibility of kind of setting the reputation for all female pilots, which sometimes can feel very heavy to carry. Um, and so I think that's where the trailblazing comes in. I wasn't the first, I wasn't even the second, but I almost picture it like a river forming a Canyon where it takes years and years and years of that water flowing and the Canyon starts to create. And the first women that came through in the nineties, they were, you know, the first trickles of water on this blank desert floor and each one of us that goes through widens the canyon a little bit. And we're just hoping that our canyon eventually looks the same as the canyon on the other side of the valley that everyone else is flowing through. And it takes time and it's a work in progress. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you on your journey to success. Just ahead, the chat continues, inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Curran. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Here's some fast info on mastering LinkedIn to grow your prospects and increase your sales. Now, I have a series of videos on LinkedIn for you that teach you to fill in any holes on how to effectively use LinkedIn for your business. And I'm starting with LinkedIn because it's the biggest social media platform in the world for businesses. As of this moment, you know, there's various sources that say that LinkedIn has from 500 to over 930 million members. Well, whatever the numbers, that's a great amount of people. Now, no doubt you're on LinkedIn now. And if you're not, it's free to join and I'll help you on all of the settings. And if you use it now, I'm going to fill you in on some basics as we go along. And on that note, it's best if you use your name when you sign up for LinkedIn because this platform is social and that means people. So you want to be a person on LinkedIn and not the name of a book or your coaching business or something like that. Why? The name of your book can change. You can write other books and the same for your coaching business or even your podcast. All of these can change over time, such as for me, my podcast, I've had three different names in eight years, but usually your name stays with you for life. Now, if you want to connect and get more in-depth info, you can also join me at LinkedIn at Tony S. 
D-U-R-S-O. All right, so you're going to use your name on LinkedIn. And the first thing that I want you to do is review your header. Go to your profile page and look at the top header. This is usually what people see first when they look you up on LinkedIn. That's valuable real estate space. Anybody looking at what you do is going to see that. So let's make it good. Now, how do we make it good or or better? Well, you can look up people in your industry who are at the top of their category and see what they have to get you some ideas. These people at the top, they pay marketers the big bucks to make their profiles look great. So let's have that mentor us and see what they do. For me, I like to look at top podcasters, authors, and speakers. Now, you're not going to copy anyone. You're just going to see the top people in your industry and get some good ideas of what can make your header superior. And if you want to join me on Patreon at Tony D-U-R-S-O, you're going to find a number of in-depth videos by me that cover these details one by one. All right, so now look at what others in your industries do. Get some ideas of what may be a better header for you. Work out some ideas and get someone to make a banner for you. And if you don't have anyone, you can get a banner made in Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, for just a few bucks. I use them exclusively. And because it's just a few bucks, I usually hire a few people and have them work out something. And then I take the best one. So I had someone make the keywords and then I had someone make the header, which I show you what they look like in the video. And now that I've looked at the top people in my field, I see that my header doesn't cut it anymore. And then you get the big aha moment when you see the video on my Patreon. Well, I found that this great header had too many words on it, and thus it was probably time to change it again because it didn't have my tagline, Journey to Success. The header I had was using my show name, but not my tagline. That was a big shocker for me, and I realized it didn't have my updated logo. Now, I'm saying these points out loud so that you can do a straight look at your header and examine it carefully to make sure it fully represents what you want it to. I go into my LinkedIn account several times a week, and I've done so for ages. But until I did a hard, fresh look at the header, I never realized how important it was to update it. This is what people see every day. And doing so has helped me get more followers, and that's what this is all about. If you want the step-by-step details on the header, you can watch the full video at patreon.com slash Tony, D-U-R-S-O. It's free to join, so check it out. And in another chat, I'll go over the words and the headline title of what to put on your profile, and you'll see what I mean soon enough. Very eye-opening. All right, jump in and work on this now. I'll see you on Patreon. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, you're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your journey to success. Today's show is Inspiring Your Team with Michelle Mace Curran. And would you check out my elite entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts? There's a lot of great insights about anything you can think of to help grow your business and learn from the success of others who've been through their hard knocks and came out as champions. Go to Apple Podcasts and type in Tony. D-U-R-S-O, and play what appeals to you. And now I have an important insider's brief for you, so let's go to that next, and then I'll circle back to Michelle. At times, the climate crisis may seem insurmountable. As emission targets are set, then missed, then set again, some are left wondering if anything can tip the scales. Then you add pollution, deforestation, and species loss to the list of environmental problems, 
and the outlook for life in this world becomes a little bit more ominous. Joining us today is Odeo Bash, the Global Sustainability Leader, IBM Consulting. Good morning, Tony. How are you doing? Just great. And thanks so much for coming on the show today to tell us about this. Now, we're talking about ushering in a new era of responsible growth. And so I'm wondering if we could start from the beginning. What is generative AI and how can that help scale sustainability? Sure. Well, thank you for having me here, Tony. So, so Gen AI or generative AI is a newish, I should say, technology that is unlike previous technologies in its ability to analyze data, collate data, drive insight, and as the name suggests, generate the new information using the same data. So the difference between classic AI and generative AI is that in addition to actually doing all the usual of sifting and sorting and classification and so on, this new technology enables us to drive new insights, generate new content. And that new content could be across all sorts of different fields. And that's what makes it so exciting to be able to use the technology in addressing some of the sustainability challenges that you described at the outset. Oday, what will it take to bridge the gap between sustainability aspirations and action? Well, I think the first thing is, Tony, is that you're right to say there is a gap, okay? So the most recent research that our friends in the IBM Institute for Business Value undertook, this is our sort of thought leadership arm, the most recent research showed that something like 85, 86% of executives talked about their organization having a sustainability strategy. And yet when pressed in terms of action, it was literally about 35% who had started on it. So, so your point about the gap is definitely very loud and clear. And we would say there are two main causes. The first one is a lack of available data. So this is something we see in all of our clients, be they government bodies, government agencies, or private enterprise. There is a distinct lack of data. And you need data to be able to measure, and you need to be able to do that to drive insights, and you need the insights to then be able to make the decisions. So that's lack of data, availability, and then there's a whole issue around accuracy and timeliness and quality and so on. But that data is a massive uh, hindrance today. And the second one is around being able to clearly articulate a direct correlation between profitability and sustainability. And people talk about those two at times are in conflict. We don't see them as being in conflict, but it does require leadership to take a slightly longer term horizon. So when everything is measured in terms of quarters, there are, of course, times where there's a conflict between sustainability and profitability. Taking a slightly longer perspective, which is essential given we're talking about sustainability challenges, which don't work in quarters, they impact the planet, they impact all inhabitants over years, requires us all to take a slightly longer term view. And there are certain aspects where you can deploy technology and drive instant benefits in terms of energy reduction and carbon footprint reduction. So it just requires thoughtful uh, consideration with how the technology gets deployed and being very clear on how you articulate the connect between value and sustainability. That's fascinating. And what would you say are three things that every business leader should know about generative AI? Well, okay, so let's see. I mean, uh, it's always hard to sort of summarize this into three, okay? And, and, and especially given that all of our most recent surveys and research shows that, you know, in excess of 60% of executives that we have surveyed talk about Gen AI being something that's going to be hugely important for their own businesses' sustainability agendas. 
So we know this is a, a really important point. So I guess uh, the three things I would say, okay, is we, we, need, we need to use gen AI in a strategic fashion, okay? And, and done, done correctly, it will help address some of the sustainability gaps, okay? So it can help make reporting easier, it can help reduce risk, okay? And actually enable enterprises to stay uh, in line with the forever evolving regulatory frameworks, whether that's out of the SEC, out of the EU or elsewhere. Okay. So actually how we use Gen AI in a strategic fashion, I think is really important. Okay. And then the second point I would make is that actually Gen AI, we talk about it as IBM as a team sport. It's not the purview of one man or one woman on an executive board. It requires the whole organization to come together. And importantly, it requires collaboration with the enterprises ecosystem of partners. You know, the issues we're talking about when we talk about sustainability, whether it's biodiversity loss or, you know, climate crisis or issues with the, with, with the oceans or human rights, you know, it, it's a very, very broad church, okay? And what's required here is collaboration between public and private enterprise, okay? And we see Gen AI having, having an enormous opportunity to assist with that. So that would be the second theme. And the third one is just to remind your listeners that as powerful and as wonderful a technology as it is, Gen AI is also quite energy intensive. So one has to be thoughtful in how and when it's deployed. It's not a panacea for all ills. It requires careful consideration when it's applied. And then it requires thought in terms of how you optimize the energy requirements across the compute, the network, and the storage components. And done correctly, you can use the technology to bring down emissions and, and I should say energy from data centers by 20, 30% upwards. And of course, that translates into savings of emissions. So th those would be the three key areas, deploying it strategically, keeping in mind it's a, it's a team sport, and then just keeping in mind the energy requirements and optimizing the design for that. Once again, we're speaking with Odea Bosch, who joined IBM Consulting as the global sustainability leader in August 2023, and he brings extensive experience in scaling businesses and a background in management consulting. Oday, how does generative AI help organizations collaborate better? So one, one, of, one of the real powers of Gen AI, Tony, here is that it's, it's, it's the ability to ingest all kinds of data across multiple data sources, across multiple platforms. And how you deploy that technology with, we, we, we use a hybrid cloud architecture from our perspective. It creates this interoperability of accessing data and trying to analyze that from different areas. So it's not about having all of your data just in one place. It's being able to access it and then ingest it and report on it. And that's one way in which it enables different companies to work together, okay? And again, going back to some of the more recent research we published, and that's all in the public domain now on our website, okay? We found that 65% of organizations are co-creating gen AI capabilities with their ecosystem partners. The point being, they're not all trying to do it on their own. And I think that's a very important point for your listeners to keep in mind. Absolutely. And where can our listeners go for more information? Sure, I'd, I'd encourage them to visit our website, okay, and specifically go to IBM and dot uh, com slash IBV, which is the Institute for Business Value. That's where we published a wealth of our information pertaining to sustainability and, frankly, other subjects. But a lot of what we've just talked about here, you will find covered in in the, the IBV site. So I'd encourage 
people to take a look. Ode, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you on your journey to success. Just ahead, the chat continues, inspiring your team with Michelle Mace-Curran. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now back to Tony and his guest. All right, you're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your journey to success. Today's show is Inspiring Your Team with Michelle Mace Curran. And if you like this show so far, remember our sponsor who made it possible? Articulate 360. They specialize in e-learning tools and can seriously make it easy for you to create online courses and cater to your community. And you can try it out for free. You'll make a note to do that right after listening to this interview, won't you? Thanks so much. And now back to the chat with Michelle. I think with that because you're so new in this and it's a field that a woman doesn't normally do, it's, it's frightening. And I think you have, and I think part of what you talk about is drumming up that courage to do things, especially things that scare us, you know, and, and it's not that we all have to fly and or it, it's in every business we have and it's in everything that we do. It comes up. Sometimes we just have to take that bold step yeah. forward and, I think you talk about why we really should look for that. Yeah. When I look back at opportunities that I didn't go after and the ones that I did go after that led me down life-changing paths, like applying to the Thunderbirds, like meeting my husband on online on Bumble. That's a whole nother story. Uh, it's the ones where I was willing to be bold, even when it felt uncomfortable, that came with the greatest rewards. And now I kind of think of it as if an opportunity comes up where I have that initial excited reaction, I'm like, oh, this would be really cool. And then that apprehension starts to sneak in. And it's not apprehension um, because there's an insane amount of risk, but it's more that it just feels outside my comfort zone that I should use that as a guide to go after that thing, because that means it's going to come with some growth. And if I'm just saying yes to things that feel very comfortable over time, I'm not, I'm not reaching. I'm not growing. I'm kind of staying on a plateau. And so I, I do use that feeling that like gut apprehension as almost my guiding force to be like, okay, I probably should go after that thing because it's going to challenge me and it's going to move me up to the next level. I know you mentioned uh, meeting your husband. And as I understand it, he taught you something about being bold. I'm not sure if you've just answered that or if there's anything more you'd like to say about that, but you did mention him. So uh, what else could you tell us about that? Yeah, I think this is a funny little story. So I moved to Las Vegas. I was single. This is where the Thunderbirds are based. So this was about four and a half years ago. And I was on Bumble, the dating app. And what's unique about Bumble is you get paired up with someone when you both show interest. So you both see a person you like, you swipe right, you get matched up. But Bumble is specifically only allows the woman to send the first message. 
and they give you a 24 hour window to do that or that match just disappears forever. They're really, they're encouraging people to be bold. And so I had matched up with this guy and I thought he was very good looking. And I actually thought he was so good looking that he had probably accidentally swiped right on me. That's my classic inner doubt insecurities sneaking up. And so I actually was just going to let that match time out, which in hindsight, I think about that. It's like, cool, we're going to let that match disappear and wait for someone uglier. Like, is that our goal here? It just, it, it does not make any sense. But that's where, that's what I'm talking about. Those, those insecurities that apprehension it can get in our way in the most illogical way. And so right before he was about to disappear, I got a notification that he had used an extension, which is where guys could pay extra to make that window longer to add another 24 hours to it. Bumble probably made a ton of money with that model. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, I guess I should at least send him a message then. Um, and so I ended up sending him a message. We had actually a really funny first exchange. I don't know what I said to him. I've been trying to remember, but his first question to me was what I flew in the air force because on my profile, it said air force pilot, but it didn't say fighter pilot. It didn't say Thunderbird pilot. Uh, and I was like, Oh, F 16s and expecting the kind of standard response I had gotten used to as I was dating uh, in Las Vegas, which was just like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love fighter jets. I had posters in my bedroom and they would kind of, a lot of my dates would turn into like 14 year old boys just being like fans. And I was like, well, this isn't really what I wanted on a date. Um, but his response actually, after I said the F 16 was, huh, I prefer the a 10, which <laughs> was unexpected. And I don't know if your listeners are super familiar with that, but the F 16 is the fighter jet. I flew the A-10s, another aircraft from the Air Force inventory. We have a very friendly rivalry, but it's a constant back and forth of what air, which airplane's better and which community's better. So I was just like, what the heck? But I was intrigued, <laughs> curious enough, and I knew that he at least had some background knowledge on the military, um, which is appealing because it's a huge part of your life and it's it's very helpful for that common ground. So we went on a date and six months later we got married and we actually celebrated our four year wedding anniversary last weekend. So I just think that's a powerful, it's a funny story, right? Cause the bumble nuances, but I think it's such a powerful example of even me. I am at that time. I am a fighter pilot. I am a Thunderbird pilot. And here I am being intimidated by someone's single photo on a dating app. And it's causing me to doubt whether I actually should send them a simple message and you get into this worst worst case scenario spinning in your mind and you can really talk yourself out of things by making up these scenarios that actually aren't reality. And so I just think it's a really great example of what you can miss out on if you're not, if you're not bold and not willing to put yourself out there. That's a great story. And congratulations on your four year anniversary. That's Thanks. very cool. May there be many more to come. I hope so. Now, on part of this, uh, one thing that you've you've said in some of your statements, and I think is a great segue to this, is you talk about how to get your inner critic to actually work for you. This kind of goes against what we talked about, being bold and uh, the self-doubt and everything. So I'd love to get a better perspective on how do we deal with that inner critic? Well, first, I think it's realizing that we all have it. A lot of times you have this inner voice and it gets so wrapped up in your subconscious and in your identity that you start to just see it as part of you and you can't separate yourself from it and realize that 
the thoughts that it causes, the doubt it causes, those aren't necessarily reality. Like what we think in our minds does not always reflect the facts that are out there, which we get into a whole episode about that. But I think it's very easy to to start to listen to that inner critic and be like, oh, I'm not good enough to be here. Oh, I'm a, I'm a shy kid. I shouldn't be a public speaker. Oh, I'm I'm a woman. I shouldn't be a fighter, pilot, whatever it is. And that voice has been crafted over years of society, over your parents, over how you grew up. Like there's so many things that go into it. And so one of the things I help people do is something as simple as sitting with another group of a small group of people or another person and listing out the attributes of your inner critic. I mean, like, what does it actually sound like? What does it look like? And I've done this workshop with a bunch of people. And for me, I realized that my inner critic, and it it changes a little bit depending on the situation, but primarily when it came to my reputation, when it came to flying, when it came to leaving active duty and taking a path that's not very common for people in my career field, it was another fighter pilot, male, no face that represented any person I knew, but in a green flight suit, short hair, lieutenant colonel type older than me. I was older, more experienced than me. And I had this faceless thing that I felt like I was running all my decisions through. Like, what would they think about me getting on a stage and sharing my story? What would they think about me using my background and the Thunderbirds to promote a children's book? What would they think about me doing X, Y, and Z? And so digging into those attributes and just taking a minute to write down, like, what does it sound like? Where does this come from? We don't really take the time to do that. And I kind of realized that that faceless entity, that person, they have no bearing on my actual life. And so to let them take control like that is just such a waste. And it gave me a lot of perspective to kind of reframe how I made my decisions. And I've seen a lot of other people go through that exercise and come out the other side being like, my inner critic has been my mother this entire time, or this teacher that, you know, shamed me in school or some like painful interaction and just identifying that they can kind of separate it from their own identity. Oh, I love it. Mace as I'm calling you Mace, I guess, because I'm referring now to your flying as opposed to what you do with businesses. So a flying question. So this is now I'm talking to Mace um, as an air as a as a as a fighter jet pilot, I'm just curious if you can say, did you ever see any combat? I did. So not air to air, which I think is a, what a lot of people imagine. We haven't been in any air to air dogfights in quite some time. Hopefully, it stays that way. Um, but I was in Afghanistan, so I did close air support, which is a very challenging mission, but also a very rewarding one because you are directly responsible for supporting American or allied troops on the ground. And sometimes those guys are relying on you, you know, with their lives. Like you're going to be the thing that turns a fight that's not going so well for them back in their favor. So it's high stress can be complicated, but it was also really rewarding to finally go do that mission and get to deploy. Very good. And I have one other, let's call it burning question about flying. And I really don't know a lot about what does a Thunderbird pilot really do. I know you do air shows, but that might just be, you know, a stereotype. There might be a whole lot more to it. So perhaps you could uh, give us a little bit of detail of what does that type of a pilot do? Yeah. So we do primarily do air shows Uh, to put it in perspective, 
our year is kind of broken into two parts. You have training season, which there's six pilots that you'd see in the air show. There's no extras. Those six are the same six every single time you see the team fly. And half of them are new each winter. So there's a whole bunch there talking about turnover rate and how you cultivate trust so quickly at, at such a high level. But those four months in the winter, the new team comes on and it's really just practicing nonstop. It's like the off season for a sports team. We would fly up to 10 times a week. It was kind of a building block approach where you're going from, you know, flying far apart from each other at higher altitude, slowly walking it in closer and closer, more complicated maneuvers, getting closer to the ground until come about March, early April timeframe show season starts, the team hits the road and now it's, it's the actual season, right? So March to November, we would do an air show in a different city basically every weekend and then a few midweek shows. So we would go to about 40 different locations, 240 days on the road a year. So lots of Marriott and Hilton points. <laughs> so a lot of time not with your family, which is the hardest part of the job, I would say. Um, and so you're doing two air shows every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. You're also doing practice that Friday before. And then some of the stuff that we do that people might not know as much about is we would do school visits, hospital visits. We would, during our Friday practice, have a tent for Make-A-Wish kids where they could come out without the crowds and watch the team practice. And then we would meet with them after, which was always really fun. Um, we would do enlistments where we would give the oath of office to new people joining the Air Force. Uh, we would do some incentive flights where we would fly the reporters or celebrities, but also hometown heroes, people that had just, you know, really served their communities or had insane acts of bravery. Like we, we had flown a teacher who stopped an active shooter. We had flown a guy that jumped off a bridge to save a, a baby after a car accident and the car went into the water. Just these people that have done these heroic things were like, let's give back to them a little bit here's something cool that we can give you and they would get to ride in the back seat. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. It's a mix of in person for the crowd at the air show, but also this overarching recruiting mission, inspirational mission. There's a whole PR arm behind it that's going on with social media and news and all of that stuff. So it's busy to say the least. And the flying, of course, is spectacular. I've seen some of the clips. It's absolutely spellbinding. And everyone here in the audience, you got to just check it out at macecurrent.com. Some, some of the clips are just mind-blowing. And I have just a few moments here for one bonus round question. I'm being a little silly because this is about business. And I'm curious, Michelle, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you have faced in, in starting your own business and, and starting a second career, actually? Hmm, the biggest challenge, I think it's something that I experienced on a small scale that I think businesses on all scales experience. I was a solo entrepreneur, dove into this headfirst about a year ago, and I quickly got to a point where the amount of things that needed to be done were... I was barely keeping my head above water, right? I needed to be writing speeches and rehearsing because that's the product that I'm delivering. But all of my time was getting bogged down by initial sales calls and emails and contract redlines and responding to DMs. And I was just like, how, how can I do this? And so I got to a point last summer where I was like, I don't, I haven't been doing this long enough where I have a ton of capital to hire employees. 
but I also can't grow at all if I don't hire employees. And so I think it was recognizing when I needed to bring help on and trusting someone else to represent my brand when my whole business is, uh, it's my brand. So it's very stressful to give that responsibility to someone else and let them be the face of it on sales calls, on emails. And I hired two people last August. And so they've been with me almost a year. That was the best decision I made. Being willing to take some of my profit and invest it into them. My stress level went down substantially. And it's been so amazing to have other people to brainstorm with and bounce ideas off of. And then for me to be able to focus on the things that only I can do and not get bogged down, bogged down in all of the other kind of busy work. So I think that was like the low point last summer when I was like, how do we do this? This I'm drowning right now. Looks like you went bold and took that step. <laughs> For sure. I've had several times. That's funny that you mentioned that because I've said so many times where I'm like, I don't know if I should do that. Should I start this thing? Should I try this new thing? And then I'm like, if I was in the audience of my own speech, what would that person on stage be telling me? And it gives me perspective, oddly enough. I'm like, oh, I should probably practice what I preach and go do the thing. I love it. Once again, we talked about inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Curran. And again, you can find her at macecurran.com. Michelle, thanks for sharing with us today. I've learned a lot. I'm going to listen to this again. There's some great lessons. And as you said, what would you do if you were in the audience of your own lecture or your own talk? It's like sometimes it's you have to then go forward and step forward with your own advice. And you go, God, this is great. And I totally get that. I've been there with that. I just want to say, I just really appreciated this. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took her vision to reality. We talked about inspiring your team with Michelle Mace Karen. We talked about that decision to become a fighter pilot where she was going to go in a totally different career and how she was shy and introverted and how that can stifle growth and how to deal with it. We talked about how she got her call sign, which is MACE, and what can you learn from that? We talked about the debrief culture, and we talked about the pressures that come with being a trailblazer. We talked about the imposter syndrome, self-doubt, finding the courage to deal with things that scare us, how to be bold, how meeting her husband really taught her something. That's a great story. We talked about how to deal with your inner critic to reframe, talked about if she had combat, And what does a Thunderbird pilot do? We talked about business and some of the biggest challenges. So much stuff. Let me ask you this. What did we discuss that resonated with you? And please share this with a few friends to help them too. All right. Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. So good seeds. Do good deeds and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go enjoy the weekend.